happiness and walking and really the two of those things together really make for holistic health. And that's my guest, Diane Lang. She is a therapist, an author, an educator, and a life coach. And we're talking about how walking aids us in the pursuit of happiness and holistic health. In episode 19 of the Walking for Health and Fitness podcast, Diane and I discuss happiness and the role walking plays in our pursuit of happiness. You know, honestly, happiness, just like, you know, success, or even when people think about you know, what makes them happy. It's so individually defined. We delve into how you can cultivate happiness. You really need to ask yourself this question. What cultivates happiness for you, no matter what's going on? Now, Diane gives questions that you can ask yourself to reveal what makes you happy. What would happiness look like for you? What would it feel like for you? And just have them start with those questions. We talk about how to add self-care activities to your daily routine. It could be a 10-minute walk in nature. It could be sitting outside for five minutes with your favorite cup of tea. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just incorporating it in there so you get those moments of happiness. It's savoring the moment, having it to look forward to. Then Diane talks about how she overcame a life-altering illness and how you can easily apply her lessons to your life to reap big benefits for your health and fitness. And gratitude was one of the most important tools I've ever picked up. Now, Diane has dedicated her life to helping others turn their lives around. Now she's on a mission to help them develop a sustainable, positive attitude that can help them turn into optimists. Now, this is a fantastic conversation with my guest, Diane Lang. Let's begin. So I'm here with my guest, Diane Lang. Diane is the author of Mindfully Happy, a really terrific book about happiness. Um, It encompasses so much um, information. So I'll let Diane talk about happiness and her book. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me, Frank. I'm really excited to be here today to talk about happiness and walking and really the two of those things together really make for holistic health. So I'm really excited to be here. Right. So we'll jump right into that part. What is it about, uh, well, what is happiness before we get to the walking part? What, what is it? Cause, uh, yeah, I'll let you answer that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, happiness, just like, you know, success or even when people think about, you know, what makes them happy, it's so individually defined. So it's not something that I could just give a definition because what makes me happy won't make you happy or make somebody right. else happy. So what I have my clients do is which I honestly thought this was such an easy exercise when I gave it out to do for clients for homework, but it ends up being one of the hardest questions I have asked people. And I'll just say, you know, write down the top four or five things that cultivate happiness for you, whatever it is. And I'll send them home to do this work and they'll come back a week or two weeks later, depending, you know, when I see them and they'll say, you know what? I struggled with finding three or four things that cultivated happiness for me. And again, I thought it would be such an easy question of just asking you what makes you happy. But, you know, when we're in our 20s or teens, life is really revolved around us, right? We're a little self-absorbed. It's what we're supposed to be. Who do we want to be? Who do we want to hang out with? What's going on in our world? As we hit our 20s or 30s and we get older and we get a job and we get a house and we're married with kids, our happiness is now really about everybody else. Are my kids happy? Is my spouse happy? Is my boss? Are my parents doing okay? Is my best friend and we start thinking about everybody else and then as we get older into midlife or later 
people start going, I don't know what makes me happy, but I know what it makes everybody else happy. So you really need to ask yourself this question, what cultivates happiness for you, no matter what's going on? And that's an important question, whether it's raining out, snowing, or it's beautiful like it was today, whether you feel great or you have a cold, what cultivates happiness? Like for me, very simply, I, I love animals. I am a big animal person. I use dog therapy with my clients and I have a dog. And when I come home, I could have the worst day in the world and just see my dog and his tail wagging and being all happy to see me <laughs> just makes my day. That and chocolate, that's all I need. So if I have my dog, <laughs> I have any type of chocolate, especially chocolate peanut butter combo, mm, I'm nice. really happy. Doesn't matter what it is. But for somebody else, they might be like, not a big animal fan, or I'm a cat person. or So it's very different, but it's something you really want to dive into and kind of ask yourself those questions. Mm, mm. So asking yourself those questions. So your clients who struggle with that, mm -hmm. how do you get them over the struggle? You know, I have a lot of clients who would come in and just go, I feel blah. You know, I know it's not a clinical word, but it's what people really feel. Oh, You've probably yeah. heard this, right? I, you know, people I've go. Heard it, I've heard it and felt it, yes. Right. So have I, where we feel just like no motivation in the world, just like blah, and eh, those kinds of like words. And the truth is, we usually start out with just thinking about that question. That is usually one of the questions I ask them is, how do you cultivate happiness? What would happiness look like for you? What would it feel like for you? And just have them start with those questions. And then usually, like I had a client who came in, and I always remember this because she came in right before the holidays, probably around this time, October, November, right before COVID. And she said, I feel blah, I feel stuck, lost. And I gave her that homework. I said, I want five things that cultivate happiness. She came back two weeks later, because I see her bi-weekly, and she goes, I can only think of three. In two weeks, that's all she could think of. And I said, well, what's the number one factor of happiness for you? And she said, taking a hot bath. She goes, I just love, I made my husband put in one of those jacuzzi tubs with the jacuzzi jets. She goes, I have a pillow. I didn't even know you could have a pillow in a bathtub. That was news for me. Bubble bath, you know, bubble, salts, oils, the whole thing. And as she's talking to me, her eyes are closed and she's really involved in it. And I said, that's wonderful. She said, so when's the last time you took a bath? And I knew it right there. She started looking up and she said, and it's right before the holidays, so it's October or November. And she goes, I think I took one this year. So wow. the number one thing that is self-care, that cultivates happiness, makes her feel good, she's done once. Mm. And right there lies the problem for many people. Even when they figure out what cultivates happiness for them, they don't add it in. They don't schedule it in the way they would a work meeting, a doctor's appointment, taking their parents you know, to an appointment. They don't schedule themselves in, which goes back to that, self-care, taking care of yourself, making yourself a priority. So it's really about figuring out what makes you happy and then putting it into your schedule and having routines, morning, evening routines, where you put in what works for you. And it doesn't have to be a lot. That's the myth. People think I have to spend a lot of money. I have to go get a massage. You know, it's $150. It's an hour or 90 minutes. I got to drive there and back. It's not about that. It could be a 10 minute walk in nature. It could be sitting outside for five minutes with your favorite cup of tea. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just incorporating it in there. So you get those moments of happiness. It's savoring the moment, having it to look forward to and making it part of your just normal routine. Really me, important. Do you think as far as the self-care, 
that people think and like from when we're little kids we're taught oh don't be selfish don't be selfish right. do you think a problem is that people feel self-care is selfish if they're thinking about themselves yeah. you know what i've heard that especially from women and i don't want to throw women under the bus but she no, being right. one but the truth of the matter is for a lot of us and this is shifting in the newer generations we were raised to be nurturers to be caretakers and we feel the way we were raised that learned trait that we put everybody first that we should take care of everybody else even if it means not taking care of ourselves and i still remember one of my college students wrote me an article and had to be from like the late 50s it was probably one of those like good housekeeping magazines i don't know i wasn't alive yet but it actually talked about how to be a good wife even if you had three kids and you had the flu and they all had the flu you should still get dressed and take care of yourself and make sure the kids are all you know looking good and taking care of and make sure dinner is there and a drink we were raised don't take care of yourself everybody else is more important right. so yes a lot of women will say is it selfish and we want the newer generation we want our own kids to think differently so that's why it's so important to actually do this type of work because you're teaching your kids through role modeling, imitation, observation. You just say to them, self-care is important, but you don't do it. They're not going to follow you because they're visual learners, you know, between birth and like puberty, which could be anywhere from, you know, late digits of 9, 10 to 13, 14, but they'll follow it by your actions. So by you taking care of yourself, you're actually teaching your kids or your grandkids to make it a priority that they're important. And the reason being is this. When somebody is selfish or self-absorbed, they don't even think about anybody else. They do what they want, when they want it, because it works for them. Mm -hmm. They don't have empathy, so they don't think about how it's going to affect somebody. When you're actually doing self-care, it's the complete opposite. You're taking care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, you know, holistically. You're taking care of yourself so you can be there for the people you love and care about. And by taking care of yourself, you don't get into that burnout state where you don't have the ability to take care of anyone, no less yourself. So you can't give what you don't have. So they're absolutely two different things. And what I've learned is if you're asking the question, self-care selfish, you're not a selfish person because you wouldn't even have asked that. A selfish person wouldn't even consider it. They wouldn't care if it bothered you or how it phased anybody. Somebody who asked that question, probably having that problem and they're probably a little bit of a people pleaser and they have that or recovering people pleaser they're trying to work them way out of it but if you're asking that the odds are pretty good you're not selfish you're just lacking making yourself that priority and putting yourself as a priority so you burn out you find yourself snappy or irritable or not in the best health that you could be yeah i think i, I find that is so important the self-care part oh. um we spoke before before we started recording I'm a teacher and I have a free uh, prep in the morning. And instead of sitting in a place where you know, the, there's a lot of construction in the building, it's dusty sometime. I get out for a walk. I found a coffee shop, a bagel place about 12 minutes away. No, I've got the time down. I can get down there, fill my coffee cup up. And I it's made such a big difference in, in my outlook at the school year this year, you know, and it's just that Absolutely. little thing, that 12 minute walk down, 12 minutes back and, you know, good to go for the rest of the day. So self-care is so important. And that's so important because self-care, when, again, when people think of self-care, and again, self-care is something you do for yourself, mm. but it's also not, it's different for everybody. So it's not going, oh, well, a massage will work because some people don't like a massage and some people don't want to get their nails done or go play golf. 
the truth is real self-care is your basic needs. And that's really important. And you can just ask yourself the simple question, are your basic needs met? And, you know, thinking about Abraham Maslow, you know, as teachers, we always think like this, right? The human, humanistic approach where you have that pyramid, right? And on the top is self-actualization, but on the bottom is your basic needs. And if you don't get that part done, the foundation, you can't work your way up that pyramid to get to your full potential. It has to start there. And your self-care should be your sleep, very important, diet, how much water you're drinking, just water. We're not talking coffee or Diet Coke or anything, just water. And then lastly, exercise. And exercise is so important in a mental health way because we call our bodies the pain body. We hold all of our negative emotions on our body. And I don't want to call them negative because the truth is anger, stress, anxiety, worry, fear, they're normal. They're natural. It's just a little more intense. But the only way to get through that, and especially stress and anxiety, we feel it all over our body, is movement. Mm -hmm. And we want to move. And I really make <clears throat> any kind of movement really important for everybody. And I love the walking because there's so many people who can't do more than that. They can't join a gym or they can't run. They can't lift because of, you know, maybe arthritis, an accident. But most people can walk and if they can't walk you know swimming too because for a lot of people as they get older or you know arthritis joint pain swimming does it but the walking is so essential and i love your morning routine and you have it down to a science you're like 12 minutes <laughs> i get my bagel and i'm back and if that's you're in it Jersey, you know those bagels are important or the New bagels York, are important know. and the coffee is more important <laughs> so that's true too i'm with the you combination on <laughs> of the walk and the coffee is more important so i had gotten into walking because i hurt my back mostly through running and, and other exercises I was doing. And, um, you know, I guess this is part of the self-care. One of the, the recovery was I needed epidurals because of the herniated disc. The doctor said, hey, if we this doesn't work, I've got to operate. So I'm like this, you know, whatever I have to do. I started walking just to start getting stronger again. But what I found was something that I never got when I was a runner, and that was my head was so clear now. I had so much time to think where running was so much huffing and puffing and Yes. When's it really it was like, when's this going to be over? But like, oh, no, this is good for me, <laughs> even though I was hurt so often running. Uh, so with the walking, like what is it with, with exercise in general, especially I, I feel walking is a gentle exercise. So what is going Absolutely. on in the body when we do uh, an exercise such as walking or swimming? So any type of exercise, and again, it could be walking, it could be swimming, it could be running, if that's what you choose. It could be pickleball. I have clients who love pickleball. Oh, I love pick so pickleball. is great. <laughs> I never did it, but I'm, I'm looking into it because everybody talks about it. It could be going to the gym. It could be taking a yoga class. It doesn't matter. The first part, again, is movement. When we're stressed and anxious, the only way to remove tension from your body naturally, we're talking natural, healthy ways, right. is movement. And one thing we talk about here, too, as well as not just walking or swimming, is just stretching. Stretching mm -hmm. is so important to remove the tension. I mean, it's great when we talk about physical health because we don't want to get hurt and we need to have a warm-up and a cool-down. But just for mental health, stretching actually removes the tension from the body. And you can do it, you know, during the day, stretch it out, especially if you're sitting all day at a computer, which a lot of people are. Now you just heard Diane talk about the importance of stretching to help release tension in your body. My program, Stretching for Health and Fitness, will guide you through a complete stretching routine from your neck to your feet. And the best part of the program is you do all the stretches from the standing position. You do the stretches at any time, anywhere, and never have to get up and down off the floor. 
The program includes a great warm-up routine and a guided audio track to get you loosened up before your next walk, then a guided stretching routine afterwards. Stretching for health and fitness. Get looser, feel freer, move quicker, and live longer. Now you can save $7 at checkout by entering the code PODCAST19. Again, enter the code PODCAST19 and save money on this great program. And the link to the Stretching for Health and Fitness program is in the show notes or go to walkingforhealthandfitness.com and under the product categories, check out the Stretching for Health and Fitness program and all the other great walking programs I have available. But again, even at night, right before you go to bed, if you want to do a meditation or a muscle tension relaxation technique, which is a mindfulness technique where you just, you could start with your feet, work your way up or your head and work your way down. You're just starting with whichever muscle group first, you tense it two to three times and mm-hmm. release it each time. And right there you're doing a stretch. So stretching is so important. And again, just another form of mindfulness. So stretching if people are stressed or anxious, shaking out their hands, and you can see this, it's going to look funny, but when we shake out our hands and our legs, we're just shaking out the tension. So just shaking and stretching is so important. But walking and any form of exercise, what it does is it produces mindfulness. And mindfulness is so important because when we're mindful, one, we're in the moment. And when we're stressed, anxious, angry, worried, again, all those negative emotions we talked about, We either find ourselves in the past thinking about what we should have done, what we could have done, regrets, or carrying all that baggage with us into the moment. We're not in the past. We're in the future where we have anticipatory anxiety of what could happen. But when I'm in the moment, I'm my most relaxed, I'm my most happiest, my most creative, and my most productive. So Mm -hmm. even if you're going to work for eight, 10 hours, taking breaks where you walk or stretch or take a yoga class, whatever you can do, will help with the mindfulness, which gets you out of autopilot, gets you back into the moment, which is important. But again, when you're mindful, what you're doing is you are actually reducing your stress hormone cortisol, which is really important. You're lowering blood pressure. You're reducing chronic pain. It calms or self-soothes you. And again, it also helps us with sleep. So mindfulness is just so important. And of course, every time you exercise again, whether it's a walk or a run, you produce endorphins. And endorphins is that happy chemical that makes us feel good, but endorphins also helps you reduce that pain. And walking obviously is very gentle, which is good for anybody who has any injury. And again, you don't have to run at all. You don't even have to jog. We're talking for mental health, a nice paced walk. And you said something really important, you know, here in the New York, New Jersey area, we know the weather's about to change. I mean, tomorrow's going to be 70 for anybody here. And for November 7th, that's that's weird. That's all I can yeah. say, but we'll, we'll take it. But we know the cold weather's coming, but we want to get there and be outside in the fresh air as often as we can, mm. even in the cold for this sheer fact. If you're in nature, you naturally produce mindfulness. So just even if you're walking and talking to a friend, walking your dog, have your headphones on, you're still in nature, you're getting all that fresh air, you're getting the sun which is vitamin D. Mm. Vitamin D is so important for, for our bones, which we know, great for our immune system. I mean, studies talk about it being one of the best supplements for COVID. And we're back in the fall where COVID and flu and all that comes back. But for mental health, it's one of the best for your moods. Mm-hmm. So the more sunlight we get, you know, in the nature and the fresh air and the cardio mixed together, it's almost like a natural antidepressant or anti-anxiety pill with 
no side effects. You know, all right, the biggest side effect is that, you know, it might be a little cold outside and you got to put a jacket on. But something to remember with happiness is the happiest countries in the world, and it's not America, we're not even near it. Mm-hmm. It's like Finland, Denmark, really cold. The cold, countries. yes. Right, really cold. And they know the secret. They go out there in layers, they pull them off. They don't care what the weather is. I mean, obvious within reason, you know, obviously mm. you want to be safe, but they're out there as often as they can throughout the whole winter because they know that's what brings happiness. It's, mm. you know, doing things, activities, as well as being in the sunlight, the fresh air, the cardio, they know that. And it is, there are some of the happiest countries in the world are some of the coldest. Mm. So we have to learn, you know, if you're not living in Florida, which I wish I was, but in, while I'm here in New Jersey, layer up and get out there as often as you can because it yeah. makes a difference. And now it's sunnier out in the morning. Now that we have daylight savings, mm. you can actually see as you go to the, get that coffee while you're walking, just <laughs> wear those layers and 12 minutes is doable, you know, yeah. before we get too cold and we're like, okay, I'm miserable. I want to go in. Absolutely. Um, I also found in the colder weather, walking in colder weather, the air itself, the air quality, just feels better. Yeah. You know, walking in North walking in North Jersey in the summer is hot, muggy, and just I don't know, you can almost feel the pollution. I don't know if it, it is so polluted here. I don't know. But in the wintertime, oh, it's uh, such a different feel on, on on when I'm breathing and I just I feel it differently. You get that cold breeze hitting your face, it feels a lot better than that warm, hot, muggy breeze. It does until it gets really cold, like 30s, 40s, 50s. Yeah, but when it starts hitting like the negative zero. Oh, well, yeah, I'll stay inside. I've been out with that. I think the coldest has been about 10 for me. Oh, that's too cold for me. That's when I want to be in Florida. Bundle bundle up and then just get out there. It's very quiet, though, at 10 degrees. So give that a shot one day. Yes, that that is true. Because no one's out. (laughs) No, it's just human nature. (laughs) So... um. Back to the the mindfulness part, the being in the moment. It sounds easy. How do you do it though? Because I know, I mean, my head sometimes spins a hundred miles an hour, past and present, uh, uh, past and future, and the moment. I'm like, I know this is important to be in the moment, but how do I be in the moment? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, it's tough. And just remember this for everybody. We have over 60,000 thoughts a day. So your mind never stops. It's a myth that if you meditate, you're going to be totally thoughtless. And I don't want people to have that stress because it's, it's not true. You're having that many thoughts. And recently, the latest studies say that we about, it used to be like half of those thoughts were negative. They're now saying it's like 90% are negative. Now, partly because we all have a negative bias, it's genetic, everybody has it. So we tend to go towards the negative. And for a lot of people, if you have mental illness or you know it runs in your family, or it's also could be being a pessimist can be a learned trait where they call themselves realists now. So I'm gonna call them what they say, <laughs> realists. But you know, the truth of the matter is, you know, negativity is very easy to stay there. So people get stuck in it and having that many thoughts and all that negative. So when you're mindful, you're going to still have thoughts. So that's the first thing. The second thing is never judge. There is no right or wrong with being mindful. It, there's no right or wrong. And you could do something different for a different amount of time. It doesn't matter. So when you think of mindfulness, you probably think of like taking a yoga class or meditation, you know, those types of things, deep breathing, because those are all forms, but those are intentional practices of being mindful. There's so many ways. 
So if you're taking a walk, you're actually already being mindful. It's actually scientifically one of the best ways to get mindfulness is just going for a walk, mm. literally. And you clear your head. You probably notice this on your 12-minute walk or even any other time you walk. When you walk, you actually clear your mind without trying. You just you get back and you don't you just feel different. You feel lighter and it kind of clears the thoughts. If a thought does come up, let it come up and just identify it and having a thought and then let it flow out. It will flow out. Don't give it much attention, just notice mm. it. What let what it I've go. been what I've been doing is for from your book, Mindfully Happy, um, the the counting of staying okay one two three four trying to get to 40 without the mind wandering and i yeah. find that really brings me into not thinking the past or the future but in the present of just that number in my head two three and then i get to about 15 and then something jumps in I'm like yep. start again and but i found after doing this a few times that that has really helped me be more present, more mindful. Yeah, the, you know what? Some people like a mantra and they'll just repeat like love or um. Mm. I, I couldn't stand the um. And I remember <laughs> showing my age here, going back to grad school in the late 90s, um, we were taught literally to just, one of my professors taught us this and it, it, it worked for me and then I just expanded on it. Just say in your mind the number one, visualize it like you're seeing in front of your face and just say it one visual or see it. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your head. You can just visualize it, whatever works for you. And it really worked. And then as time went on and positive psychology, you know, started the resiliency program, which they use in the military, they started with the box breathing, which is, you know, the same thing, you know, a deep breath. If you want to do deep breathing for stress, anxiety, you literally want to take a deep breath in through your nose, hold, and exhale through your mouth, but with box breathing, it's a count of four. So you inhale through your nose for four, hold for four, exhale for four, sit for four, repeat. And if you just do that, not even exaggerating, a few minutes, we'll start noticing the physical sensations of stress leave your body. It starts calming and then your brain kind of works with it. So, you know, I love the number one. And then with corporate, I started just teaching them to count backwards from 50 when they were in the cubicle. And they're like, I just need a three minute break. Close your eyes, start counting backwards from 50, because, you know, even if you count very slow, you're not going to hit three or four minutes, you know, past that. And they usually get to, like you said, like 20 and either they hear a noise, someone comes in, the phone rings and it just takes them out of it. But it's enough for it to be a reboot. It's a pause. Mm. It's a break. And we need those mindfulness breaks during the day. And when we can walk, that's excellent. But sometimes we don't have that time to do it. You know, we're at work and we only have a five minute break. You know, so if that's what you can do, absolutely. Because that's, that's the thing. Mindfulness is so many different ways. Right. So right. whether it's deep breathing, whether it's taking a walk, stretching, I mean, there's a million more we could go into, but those, that's just a few. Yeah. Yeah. And I found a lot of those in your books. So thank you. That was fantastic. Um, so you're welcome. So let's see. So someone listening right now, um, you know, they're listening to the podcast. What could they do? One thing that would move them towards happiness. Maybe they've never thought about this before, about what makes them happy. You know, what, what could they do? There's one thing that you would suggest. So in positive psychology, we have what's happiness hygiene, or I call them happiness habits, you know, and they're really all science-based, which is great. And what, one of the easiest ways and my favorite, and I do this 
every day as a ritual. And I started it, I think it was 11, 12 years ago, I got really sick and uh, physically it was in a bad place. And of course, wherever you are physically affects you emotionally, you know, that mind body connection. Yes. And I just couldn't get myself out of it because I had this severe illness that I am stuck with, but nobody figured it out at the time. I couldn't walk because I couldn't swallow. So I lost 28 pounds in two months. I had no energy. It was, it was just a lot. And so I started doing gratitude and gratitude was one of the most important tools I've ever picked up. Now I always had my clients do it. And I worked with, at the time when I was counseling, I was working with traumatic brain injury and spinal injury. So, I mean, I had some clients who've been through a lot and, you know, some of them are now paralyzed from their chest to waist down when they had a normal life physically beforehand. So this is some really bad struggles and I would make them do gratitude. And yet I wasn't doing it right. We preach it, but we don't always follow our own advice. <laughs> and, um, I started doing it and it literally shifted my whole world. Now, a little bit about gratitude. Gratitude is a positive emotion. So it cultivates happiness. Every time you have a positive emotion, whether it's gratitude, kindness, love, joy, awe, wonderment, you know, any of them, there's a bunch of them, you get a boost of happiness, just having a positive emotion. Okay. The other part about gratitude is it's a form of mindfulness. So here's another way. So when you would doing gratitude, you're boosting your happiness and you're getting mindfulness. I mean, that's like a win-win. The other thing about gratitude that I love is that it is really a great tool to retrain your brain to go from negative to positive, but it has to be used that way. So what I do, what I have my clients do is every night and I have them do gratitude at night because it's a form of mindfulness, which helps you sleep. That's one reason. The other reason is, I don't know if you have this, but I hear it all the time and I, I have this. Right before bed, right? You said goodnight to everybody, shut your lights, TV's off. Your body might even already be asleep. Your brain starts ruminating. You start mm. thinking about your day, what happened. Then you start thinking about what you have to do tomorrow. And then you start going down the path of negativity. By doing gratitude before bed, I'm actually shifting my brain to notice the positive. Mm. And whatever you're thinking about, about 20 to 30 minutes before bed, affects if you sleep, how you sleep, how you dream, and what mood you wake up in the morning. So I want to have good thoughts before bed and I want to have some mindfulness before bed. So I have my clients do this very simple technique. All you want to do, you can say it out loud, say it in your head or write it in a gratitude journal, whatever works for you. Just start really thinking about what are two to three things you're grateful for that happened today. I want you to start looking through the day for your little gifts, blessings and miracles. And it might be that for some reason, when you went to get that coffee this morning on your 12 minute walk, it was the best cup of coffee you had all week. Don't know why it was just great. Or maybe I, you ran into an old friend. I Doesn't actually, matter. I ran into Did a you? former student who was a wow. very unique kid, a very unique kid. He's a, he wanted to be an actor, which he did some, <laughs> we were talking today. So his sister is in my class and probably once a week I ask, how's your brother? How's your brother? He happens to walk in with his girlfriend and I'm like, oh my gosh, I talk about you every week. <laughs> and he introduces his girlfriend to me and says, this is Mr. Walking Guy. <laughs> he, he follows me on social media. So it was just, so that was, yeah, that was my right. gratitude for today, for sure. You just start noticing the little gifts, blessings, and miracles. Mm. And what that does is it starts shifting where you put your focus and your perspective. Because mindfulness is about perspective. Happiness is about perspective. You get to choose where you put your focus and attention. That's part of your mindset. That's in your control. So 
by starting with the gratitude every night, you start shifting what you notice and what you look at. So instead of going to bed and thinking about all the bad and what you have to do tomorrow, mm. now I'm starting to think about what good happened. Mm. Maybe, you know, I made it in the door before the rain hit. Maybe the, we had this like 60 degree day today. I mean, in November, that's enough to be grateful. The sun's out, you know, whatever it is. We don't want to do the same things every day. When people just do gratitude, like if I ask you, what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for, Frank? Tell me. I'm so grateful into for, of course, my, my, the health of my son. He's doing well in college, so grateful for that, and I say that every day. Uh, grateful right. for, I have a wonderful woman in my life, so I'm grateful for that. And, and those uh, are wonderful things, right? And and we should all be grateful for it, hmm. but if we just do gratitude every day without putting more into it, hmm. you get into a rut. Right. Like after yes. a month, you're like, all right, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful I woke up. And it starts losing value and meaning. Right. But by looking through your day, you start noticing things and that shifts your perspective. It takes a good three or four months, but most of my clients and including myself will start saying, wow, I can start seeing the good in a bad situation. Mm. Or I can start seeing some purpose in a painful situation or that situations are temporary. So you see a silver lining, which you didn't see before. And that's why it's really great. So it should be part of your evening or morning routine, however you want to do it. It really is an important mindfulness, happiness boost. Well, I'm glad I got that question out and asked you that, because that is so important. So we're going to uh, wrap up here in a minute or two. So um, where can people find out more about Diane Lang? Well, thank you again for having me today, Frank. It's been a pleasure to be on. Um, but you can find me at my website, which is just dianelang.org. And on there, you can sign up for my mm -hmm. free newsletter. It just gives tips and tools every Monday on how to live your best happiest life mm -hmm. and how to be a little bit more mindful so you can sign up there and you get a free ebook out of that as well so very nice well that's i, I downloaded the ebook read it and said oh, i need this book so uh, <laughs> it, it's been it's been very really good a good a lot of a lot of resources within that book i i love the opening the opening um quote that you use happiness depends on us i like that from uh, aristotle sure. yeah it's like self-care sure. it's all done for you by you so you yeah. have to do the work. That's it. Well, Dan, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure talking to you. Um, and I, we um, let me just tell the audience, I met Diane at a workshop, a presentation she did at my high school. And so funny, someone today, I was telling someone, oh, I'm interviewing the, the happiness lady. That's what I call you. <laughs> and she says, oh my gosh, when she was speaking, I turned around to someone and said, Frank Ring has to talk to this woman. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of my colleagues put it out there and that's why I, I had approached you and uh, and to come on. So thank you so much. It's so much. I'm glad you did. And it was a pleasure being here. And everybody, as Frank would say, get out there and walk. Get out, walk on. It's the easiest way to get in shape and stay in shape physically and emotionally, for sure. Absolutely. And here is this week's walking insight from my book, The Walking Logbook Journal. You just heard Diane talk about the importance of breathing to reduce stress, anxiety, and to stay present in the moment. Now from the book, this is the odd number breathing pattern while walking. To breathe properly, you need to breathe deeply into your abdomen, not just your chest. Breathing exercises should be deep, slow, rhythmic, and in through the nose, not the mouth. The most important part of deep breathing is to control your breaths. On your next walk, use the odd number breathing pattern. Begin by exhaling from your mouth for a count of three. Then inhale through the nose, thereby expanding the belly for a count of four. The cycle is a seven count, that is an odd number. 
Adjust the pattern as you see fit, but always use an odd number with the inhale. One count more than the exhale. Going forward, if you need to shorten the count, especially if breathing gets heavier with more exertion, such as going uphill, just change the count to five. Two counts exhale, three counts on the inhale. Now you can try out the Walking Logbook Journal for free. You can download the first three walking insights and the first three weeks of the logbook pages. Click the link in the show notes and that'll send that right out to you. And this wraps up episode 19 of the Walking for Health and Fitness podcast. Please visit Diane Lang's website, that's dianelang.org, and sign up for her weekly newsletter and free ebook. Then go on and visit my website, walkingforhealthandfitness.com, for all the free resources I have available there. Again, this is Frank from Walking for Health and Fitness. Thank you for listening and walk on. And please give the Walking for Health and Fitness podcast a review. The most helpful place for you to do that is on Apple Podcasts, which you can do even if you aren't using an iPhone. Just log into your iTunes account and leave the show a review. Now, this really helps more people find the show so that they can learn about the benefits of walking and so much more. If you'd like to share the show, you can take a screenshot of this episode you're listening to right now and share it out on your Instagram stories. And when you do, make sure you tag me at Walking for Health and Fitness so I can see you're listening. Sharing your stories is going to help more people find this podcast. Also, share on all your social media. I'll leave my social media links in the episode notes. This is Frank Ring from Walking for Health and Fitness. Thanks again and walk on.